Chapter Two, Part B of the Wealth of Nations, Book Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, Book Four, Chapter Two, Part B of restraints upon importation from foreign countries of such goods as can be produced at home. To prohibit, by a perpetual law, the importation of foreign corn and cattle, is in reality to enact that the population and industry of the country shall, at no time, exceed what the rude produce of its own soil can maintain. There seem, however, to be two cases in which it will generally be advantageous to lay some burden upon foreign for the encouragement of domestic industry. The first is, when some particular sort of industry is necessary for the defense of the country. The defense of Great Britain, for example, depends very much upon the number of its sailors and shipping. The act of navigation, therefore, very properly endeavors to give the sailors and shipping of Great Britain the monopoly of the trade of their own country, in some cases by absolute prohibitions, and in others by heavy burdens upon the shipping of foreign countries. The following are the principal dispositions of this act. First, all ships, of which the owners, masters, and three-fourths of the mariners are not British subjects, are prohibited, upon pain of forfeiting ship and cargo, from trading to the British settlements and plantations, or from being employed in the coasting trade of Great Britain. Secondly, a great variety of the most bulky articles of importation can be brought into Great Britain, only, either in such ships as are above described, or in ships of the country where those goods are produced, and of which the owners, masters, and three-fourths of the mariners are of that particular country. And when imported, even in ships of this latter kind, they are subject to double aliens' duties. If imported in ships of any other country, the penalty is forfeiture of ship and goods. When this act was made, the Dutch were, what they still are, the great carriers of Europe, and by this regulation they were entirely excluded from being the carriers to Great Britain, or from importing to us the goods of any other European country. Thirdly, a great variety of the most bulky articles of importation are prohibited from being imported, even in British ships, from any country but that in which they are produced, under pain of forfeiting ship and cargo. This regulation, too, was probably intended against the Dutch. Holland was then, as now, the great emporium for all European goods, and by this regulation British ships were hindered from loading in Holland the goods of any other European country. Fourthly, salt fish of all kinds, whale fins, whalebone, oil, and blubber, not caught by and cured on board British vessels, when imported into Great Britain, are subject to double aliens' duty. The Dutch, as they are still the principal, were then the only fishers in Europe that attempted to supply foreign nations with fish. By this regulation, a very heavy burden was laid upon their supply in Great Britain. When the act of navigation was made, though England and Holland were not actually at war, the most violent animosity subsisted between the two nations. It had begun during the government of the Long Parliament, which first framed this act, and it broke out soon after in the Dutch wars, during that of the protector and of charles the second it is not impossible therefore that some of the regulations of this famous act may have proceeded from national animosity 
they are as wise however as if they had all been dictated by the most deliberate wisdom national animosity at that particular time aimed at the very same object which the most deliberate wisdom would have recommended the diminution of the naval power of holland the only naval power which could endanger the security of england the act of navigation is not favorable to foreign commerce or to the growth of that opulence which can arise from it the interest of a nation in its commercial relations to foreign nations is like that of a merchant with regard to the different people with whom he deals to buy as cheap and to sell as dear as possible but it will be most likely to buy cheap when by the most perfect freedom of trade it encourages all nations to bring to it the goods which it has occasion to purchase and for the same reason it will be most likely to sell dear when its markets are thus filled with the greatest number of buyers the act of navigation it is true lays no burden upon foreign ships that come to export the produce of british industry even the ancient aliens duty which used to be paid upon all goods exported as well as imported has by several subsequent acts been taken off from the greater part of the articles of exportation but if foreigners either by prohibitions or high duties are hindered from coming to sell they cannot always afford to come to buy because coming without a cargo they must lose the freight from their own country to great britain by diminishing the number of sellers therefore we necessarily diminish that of buyers and are thus likely not only to buy foreign goods dearer but to sell our own cheaper than if there was a more perfect freedom of trade as defence however is of much more importance than opulence the act of navigation is perhaps the wisest of all the commercial regulations of england the second case in which it will generally be advantageous to lay some burden upon foreign for the encouragement of domestic industry is when some tax is imposed at home upon the produce of the latter in this case it seems reasonable that an equal tax should be imposed upon the like produce of the former this would not give the monopoly of the born market to domestic industry nor turn towards a particular employment a greater share of the stock and labor of the country than what would naturally go to it it would only hinder any part of what would naturally go to it from being turned away by the tax into a less natural direction and would leave the competition between foreign and domestic industry after the tax as nearly as possible upon the same footing as before it in great britain when any such tax is laid upon the produce of domestic industry it is usual at the same time in order to stop the clamorous complaints of our merchants and manufacturers that they will be undersold at home to lay a much heavier duty upon the importation of all foreign goods of the same kind this second limitation of the freedom of trade according to some people should upon most occasions be extended much farther than to the precise foreign commodities which could come into competition with those which had been taxed at home when the necessaries of life have been taxed in any country it becomes proper they pretend to tax not only the like necessaries of life imported from other countries but all sorts of foreign goods which can come into competition with anything that is the produce of domestic industry subsistence they say becomes necessarily dear in consequence of such taxes and the price of labor must always rise with the price of the laborer's subsistence every commodity therefore which is the produce of domestic industry though not immediately taxed itself becomes dearer in consequence of such taxes because the labor which produces it becomes so such taxes therefore are really equivalent they say to a tax upon every particular commodity produced at home 
in order to put domestic upon the same footing with foreign industry therefore it becomes necessary they think to lay some duty upon every foreign commodity equal to this enhancement of the price of the home commodities with which it can come into competition whether taxes upon the necessaries of life such as those in great britain upon soap salt leather candles etc necessarily raise the price of labour and consequently that of all other commodities i shall consider hereafter when i come to treat of taxes supposing however in the meantime that they have this effect and that they have it undoubtedly this general enhancement of the price of all commodities in consequence of that labour is a case which differs in the two following respects from that of a particular commodity of which the price was enhanced by a particular tax immediately imposed upon it first it might always be known with great exactness how far the price of such a commodity could be enhanced by such a tax but how far the general enhancement of the price of labour might affect that of every different commodity about which labour was employed could never be known with any tolerable exactness it would be impossible therefore to proportion with any tolerable exactness the tax of every foreign to the enhancement of the price of every home commodity secondly taxes upon the necessaries of life have nearly the same effect upon the circumstances of the people as a poor soil and a bad climate provisions are thereby rendered dearer in the same manner as if it required extraordinary labour and expense to raise them as in the natural scarcity arising from soil and climate it would be absurd to direct the people in what manner they ought to employ their capitals and in industry so is it likewise in the artificial scarcity arising from such taxes to be left to accommodate as well as they could their industry to their situation and to find out those employments in which notwithstanding their unfavourable circumstances they might have some advantage either in the home or in the foreign market is what in both cases would evidently be most for their advantage to lay a new tax upon them because they are already overburdened with taxes and because they already pay too dear for the necessaries of life to make them likewise paid too dear for the greater part of other commodities is certainly a most absurd way of making amends such taxes when they have grown up to a certain height are a curse equal to the barrenness of the earth and the inclemency of the heavens and yet it is in the richest and most industrious countries that they have been most generally imposed no other countries could support so great a disorder as the strongest bodies only can live and enjoy health under an unwholesome regimen so the nations only that in every sort of industry have the greatest natural and acquired advantages can subsist and prosper under such taxes holland is the country in europe in which they abound most and which from peculiar circumstances continues to prosper not by means of them as has been most absurdly supposed but in spite of them as there are two cases in which it will generally be advantageous to lay some burden upon foreign for the encouragement of domestic industry so there are two others in which it may sometimes be a matter of deliberation in the one how far it is proper to continue the free importation of certain foreign goods and in the other how far or in what manner it may be proper to restore that free importation after it has been for some time interrupted the case in which it may sometimes be a matter of deliberation how far it is proper to continue the free importation of certain foreign goods is when some foreign nation restrains by high duties or prohibitions the importation of some of our manufactures into their country 
revenge in this case naturally dictates retaliation and that we should impose the like duties and prohibitions upon the importation of some or all of their manufactures into ours nations accordingly seldom fail to retaliate in this manner the french have been particularly forward to favor their own manufactures by restraining the importation of such foreign goods as could come into competition with them in this consisted a great part of the policy of mr colbert who notwithstanding his great abilities seems in this case to have been imposed upon by the sophistry of merchants and manufacturers who are always demanding a monopoly against their countrymen it is at present the opinion of the most intelligent men in france that his operations of this kind have not been beneficial to his country that minister by the tariff of 1667 imposed very high duties upon a great number of foreign manufacturers upon his refusing to moderate them in favor of the dutch they in 1671 prohibited the importation of the wines brandies and manufactures of france the war of 1672 seems to have been in part occasioned by this commercial dispute the peace of nijmegen put an end to it in 1678 by moderating some of those duties in favor of the dutch who in consequence took off their prohibition it was about the same time that the french and english began mutually to oppress each other's industry by the like duties and prohibitions of which the french however seemed to have set the first example the spirit of hostility which has subsisted between the two nations ever since has hitherto hindered them from being moderated on either side in sixteen ninety seven the english prohibited the importation of bone lace the manufacture of flanders the government of that country at that time under the dominion of spain prohibited in return the importation of english woollens in seventeen hundred the prohibition of importing bone lace into england was taken off upon condition that the importation of english woollens into flanders should be put on the same footing as before there may be good policy in retaliations of this kind when there is a probability that they will procure the repeal of the high duties or prohibitions complained of the recovery of a great foreign market will generally more than compensate the transitory inconveniency of paying dearer during a short time for some sorts of goods to judge whether such retaliations are likely to produce such an effect does not perhaps belong so much to the science of a legislator whose deliberations ought to be governed by general principles which are always the same as to the skill of that insidious and crafty animal vulgarly called a statesman or politician whose counsels are directed by the momentary fluctuations of affairs when there is no probability that any such repeal can be procured it seems a bad method of compensating the injury done to certain classes of our people to do another injury ourselves not only to those classes but to almost all the other classes of them when our neighbors prohibit some manufacture of ours we generally prohibit not only the same for that alone would seldom affect them considerably but some other manufacture of theirs this may no doubt give encouragement to some particular class of workmen among ourselves and by excluding some of their rivals may enable them to raise their price in the home market those workmen however who suffered by our neighbor's prohibition will not be benefited by ours on the contrary they and almost all the other classes of our citizens will thereby be obliged to pay dearer than before for certain goods every such law therefore imposes a real tax upon the whole country not in favor of that particular class of workmen who were injured by our neighbors prohibitions but of some other class 
the case in which it may sometimes be a matter of deliberation how far or in what manner it is proper to restore the free importation of foreign goods after it has been for some time interrupted is when particular manufactures by means of high duties or prohibitions upon all foreign goods which can come into competition with them have been so far extended as to employ a great multitude of hands humanity may in this case require that the freedom of trade should be restored only by slow gradations and with a good deal of reserve and circumspection were those high duties and prohibitions taken away all at once cheaper foreign goods of the same kind might be poured so fast into the home market as to deprive all at once many thousands of our people of their ordinary employment and means of subsistence the disorder which this would occasion might no doubt be very considerable it would in all probability however be much less than is commonly imagined for the two following reasons first all those manufactures of which any part is commonly exported to other european countries without a bounty could be very little affected by the freest importation of foreign goods such manufactures must be sold as cheap abroad as any other foreign goods of the same quality and kind and consequently must be sold cheaper at home they would still therefore keep possession of the home market and though a capricious man of fashion might sometimes prefer foreign wares merely because they were foreign to cheaper and better goods of the same kind that were made at home this folly could from the nature of things extend to so few that it could make no sensible impression upon the general employment of the people but a great part of all the different branches of our woollen manufacture of our tanned leather and of our hardware are annually exported to other european countries without any bounty and these are the manufactures which employ the greatest number of hands the silk perhaps is the manufacture which would suffer the most by this freedom of trade and after it the linen though the latter much less than the former secondly though a great number of people should by thus restoring the freedom of trade be thrown all at once out of their ordinary employment and common method of subsistence it would by no means follow that they would thereby be deprived either of employment or subsistence by the reduction of the army and navy at the end of the late war more than one hundred thousand soldiers and seamen a number equal to what is employed in the greatest manufactures were all at once thrown out of their ordinary employment but though they no doubt suffered some inconveniency they were not thereby deprived of all employment and subsistence the greater part of the seamen it is probable gradually betook themselves to the merchant service as they could find occasion and in the meantime both they and the soldiers were absorbed in the great mass of the people and employed in a great variety of occupations not only no great convulsion but no sensible disorder arose from so great a change in the situation of more than one hundred thousand men all accustomed to the use of arms and many of them to rapine and plunder the number of vagrants was scarce anywhere sensibly increased by it even the wages of labor were not reduced by it in any occupation so far as i have been able to learn except in that of seamen in the merchant service but if we compare together the habits of a soldier and of any sort of manufacture we shall find that those of the latter do not tend so much to disqualify him from being employed in a new trade as those of the former from being employed in any the manufacturer has always been accustomed to look for his subsistence from his labor only the soldier to expect it from his pay application and industry have been familiar to the one idleness and dissipation to the other 
but it is surely much easier to change the direction of industry from one sort of labor to another than to turn idleness and dissipation to any to the greater part of manufacturers besides it has already been observed there are other collateral manufactures of so similar a nature that a workman can easily transfer his industry from one of them to another the greater part of such workmen too are occasionally employed in country labor the stock which employed them in a particular manufacture before will still remain in the country to employ an equal number of people in some other way the capital of the country remaining the same the demand for labor will likewise be the same or very nearly the same though it may be exerted in different places and for different occupations soldiers and seamen indeed when discharged from the king's service are at liberty to exercise any trade within any town or place of great britain or ireland let the same natural liberty of exercising what species of industry they please be restored to all his majesty's subjects in the same manner as to soldiers and seamen that is break down the exclusive privileges of corporations and repeal the statute of apprenticeship both which are really encroachments upon natural liberty and add to those the repeal of the law of settlements so that a poor workman when thrown out of employment either in one trade or in one place may seek for it in another trade or in another place without the fear either of a prosecution or of a removal and neither the public nor the individuals will suffer much more from the occasional disbanding some particular classes of manufactures than from that of the soldiers our manufacturers have no doubt great merit with their country but they cannot have more than those who defend it with their blood nor deserve to be treated with more delicacy to expect indeed that the freedom of trade should ever be entirely restored in great britain is as absurd as to expect that oceana or utopia should ever be established in it not only the prejudices of the public but what is much more unconquerable the private interests of many individuals irresistibly oppose it were the officers of the army to oppose with the same zeal and unanimity any reduction in the number of forces with which master manufacturers set themselves against every law that is likely to increase the number of their rivals in the home market were the former to animate their soldiers in the same manner as the latter inflame their workmen to attack with violence and outrage the proposers of any such regulation to attempt to reduce the army would be as dangerous as it has now become to attempt to diminish in any respect the monopoly which our manufacturers have obtained against us this monopoly has so much increased the number of some particular tribes of them that like an overgrown standing army they have become formidable to the government and upon many occasions intimidate the legislator the member of parliament who supports every proposal for strengthening this monopoly is sure to acquire not only the reputation of understanding trade but great popularity and influence with an order of men whose numbers and wealth render them of great importance if he opposes them on the contrary and still more if he has authority enough to be able to thwart them neither the most acknowledged probity nor the highest rank nor the greatest public services can protect him from the most infamous abuse and detraction from personal insults nor sometimes from real danger arising from the insolent outrage of furious and disappointed monopolists the undertaker of a great manufacturer who by the home markets being suddenly laid open to the competition of foreigners should be obliged to abandon his trade would no doubt suffer very considerably 
that part of his capital which had usually been employed in purchasing materials and in paying his workmen might without much difficulty perhaps find another employment but that part of it which was fixed in workhouses and in the instruments of trade could scarce be disposed of without considerable loss the equitable regard therefore to his interest requires that changes of this kind should never be introduced suddenly but slowly gradually and after a very long warning the legislature were it possible that its deliberations could be always directed not by the clamorous importunity of partial interests but by an extensive view of the general good ought upon this very account perhaps to be particularly careful neither to establish any new monopolies of this kind nor to extend further those which are already established every such regulation introduces some degree of real disorder into the constitution of the state which it will be difficult afterwards to cure without occasioning another disorder how far it may be proper to impose taxes upon the importation of foreign goods in order not to prevent their importation but to raise a revenue for government i shall consider hereafter when i come to treat of taxes taxes imposed with a view to prevent or even to diminish importation are evidently as destructive of the revenue of the customs as of the freedom of trade end of book four chapter two part b